We're going to continue this morning in uh, the sermon series, and we're continuing this week in the study of the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in this for a while. Someone asked me this morning, how much, I don't know if we're still going to be in it in a few weeks. I'm like, yeah, it's probably going to be a few months. We might break it up, but it's going to be a while because it's a long book, and we're going to look at it verse by verse and see what the Word uh, has for us, what the Lord has for us through His Word. And so we're going to pick that up this morning. This is a series we're calling Being the Church, and it's some practical reality of what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. We use language a lot. You know, have you seen that church? Do you go to church? Do you like church? But I don't think that we fully or rightly understand, that means all of us, me too, what the church really is and what it really means for our lives. And so we're looking at this book in 1 Corinthians to understand what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. We are in an awesome season right now, and I've, I've kind of already... Uh, alluded to this, but I'm not sure if you've been enjoying your spring. Seems totally crazy that we're like in baseball season, but hockey's still going. I know we were getting some cracks about the blues, but come on, Stanley Cup, I mean, it's a big deal, right? They don't know, ever play this late. <laughs> they're, they're off the ice by now, y'all. This is a big deal. So we're pretty excited about that. And maybe you're thinking, well, you know, we went on the PB&J last week, and we're thinking summer's here, but you know, it's still spring. Did you know that? Summer's not even started yet. So have you been enjoying your spring? Have you been getting out and someone said today, boy, it's nice weather. It's, you know, it's really nice. Yeah, it is. Well, we've been enjoying our spring with many of you and it's been a, a real blessing. Spring is the season of growth. Today's topic is growing and spring is the season of growth. I brought a few things in that I, I wanted to kind of, uh, somebody called them props, but I want to kind of talk about, we don't always do this, but uh, these things, I'm not sure if you know what this is. Anybody know what this, this is? Huh? Soaker. Oh, yeah. Soaker. A hose. We got a hose. We got some other stuff around here. Oh, over here we have, uh, we have this. This is pretty fun for spring. This is, by the way, praise the Lord we live in a community with a rural king. Because you get some really, if you don't, dudes, let me talk to the guys for a minute. If you've not been the rural king, just do yourself a favor and just walk in the store. Spend like a half an hour wandering around. I mean, there's something in there you have to have. There's something that's metal and heavy that's cheap and you can bang it around your garage. It's awesome. I love Royal King. They have this. This is crazy. This is an old cloth bag, man. We're going to talk more about that later. That, and then, oh, I have this little uh, widgety thing up here. And so, and this, anybody know what this is? Huh? Maybe. Interesting. Today, what I'm going to ask you to do is to figure out how these things fit into the messages in 1 Corinthians. How does it connect? What does it look like? And what does it have to do with the spring season of life? What does it have to do with the season of growth? By the way, the, the way we've been doing the series, we've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've been asking the question, what, does, what is Paul making the case for the church should look like? What should the church of Jesus Christ look like? And all these are qualities that we should see in the church, according to the Apostle Paul and our Lord Jesus. And so we've been uh, doing that for a while. We're going to continue this morning. Before we jump into the Word, we're going to start with prayer. We always do the Family Bible Church. If you're new here, we always pray because God inspired His Word, and we have to be inspired to understand it. We can't just read the page and get it without His help. So we always ask, join me in prayer. Father God, we thank You so much for this morning. We thank You for a chance to be gathered together in Your house to worship You. And now we come to You, Father, as those who are in need of Your wisdom. We're going to ask You to do the work that only You can do. And we believe that the Bible is Your inspired Word. We believe you inspired it to be uh, lived out and then written down and then passed down and now read by us. And more importantly than all that, perhaps, Father, is that we would apply the word to our lives, that, that because of you, because of your condescension to us, um, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross that opened the kingdom to us, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that we would not need men to convince us because in our hearts, you would be our Lord and our master, that we would be obedient to you. And Father, that work only happens because of you. And so this morning we ask that you would do the work. Um, have, give us minds that are open to the truth, um, eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to believe and lives to live it out, that we can uh, be transformed because we know you. Uh, Father, we, we've gotten a taste of your kingdom and we're ready for more. Would you lead us that way? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3 today. So hopefully you brought a Bible with you. If you did not, don't worry. We have them on the end of the chair rows around you. You can look around, grab a Bible. I would encourage you to open it. Uh, 1 Corinthians is toward the back of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's on page 794, if you're using one of our Bibles on the chair uh, rows, 794. And we're going to kind of talk through it as we go here. 
and pull out these principles of growth that we see the Apostle Paul writing about. Verse 3, chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 1. I always do that backwards. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. This is the Apostle Paul. He had told you he's kind of been talking about some big stuff about the church and who we are and how we can be. And now he's going to turn it into some problems in the church. He's already addressed some things about how we have a tendency to follow men and not follow God. We have a tendency to worship the people in the front of the room instead of worshiping the God who is over everything. And, uh, and we have this reality that he says, I wanted to address you as, what does the word say, spiritual. You remember back in chapter 2, where is it at? Verse, um, let's see. 13, this is what we speak, Paul had said to the church before this, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. He says that the church is fundamentally about spiritual realities that only the Spirit of God can teach, and only, we can only teach with the help of the Spirit of God. So here, on the heels of saying that, Paul says in chapter 3, I wish I could address you as spiritual people, but I can't, because you are still worldly. And so the first thing I want you to see this morning is in order to grow, we have to live. Oh, it's already up there. <laughs> it's been that to me the last couple weeks. We, we, are, we have to live by the Spirit. In order to grow, we have to live by the Spirit. Paul wants to address the church in uh, Corinth as spiritual people. His heart's desire, you remember, he went through and he started the church in Corinth. And his desire is that he would be able to come back and be able to just say, you guys are doing awesome. But he's like, I can't because you're still worldly. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we see here is that Paul kind of juxtaposes this idea of being spiritual. And let me remind you, in case you weren't here, spiritual with a capital S, meaning Holy Spirit spiritual, not meaning like spiritual, like I'm kind of open to the things of God, but like God knows me, I know God, I know the Savior, I know about the Messiah, Christ, and therefore I have this connection with God, this intimate. You have to understand that. This isn't about some kind of wishy-washy sort of spirituality. It's about a divine connection made possible by Jesus Christ through the cross and the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. And so when we have that, he says, I wish I could address you as spiritual, but you're still worldly. So one side, he has the capital S, spirituality. He wishes the church had. On the other side, he's addressing worldly issues in the church. Another way you can say the worldliness of the church is of the flesh, the sarks is the word. And so we have a tendency to function out of the flesh and not out of the spiritual reality that we are now in as part of the story of God. He breaks it down here. He says, you're as mere infants in Christ. That's how I have to dress you. As babies, I gave you milk, not solid food, the word says, and you're still not ready to eat solid food. Indeed, you're still not ready. And so he wants to address them with mature teaching and mature realities, and yet he has to keep coming back and doing these kind of... So there's a couple of things. He's talking about being spiritual, capital S, being worldly. He's talking about being um, adults, eating solid food, you know, having a nice steak, whatever you're into, or salad, whatever you're into, versus drinking some milk, maybe getting a little bit of food mushed up in your milk. You know what I mean? Oh, you ever taste that stuff? You ever sit and eat? You know, one of the games we used to play with our youth was to eat baby food. Did you ever try to eat baby food? Ugh! You ever feed a baby baby food? You're like, oh, it's so good. You're like, ah. Oh. Some of you probably had a policy where you wouldn't feed your kids something you wouldn't eat. You might not have fed them baby food then, right? <laughs> I can't eat that stuff. But they weren't ready. And Paul says, you're not ready. Why? Because you're not living by the Spirit. I want to remind you, then, how do you grow up? That's the first question, then. I mean, overarching, undergirding today's idea is how do you grow up in your faith? If you're tired of the childlike faith, if you're tired of this, like, kind of wimpy little, you know, super safe Christianity, how do you grow up? And here's how it is. You live by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says this, walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. That's Galatians 5.16, which is also where Paul had written that letter to that church. One of my favorite things about that, that verse is it's peripateo. It's to walk around in the spirit. He's not talking about showing up sometimes and look, listen to God sometimes. He's like, every day in your life, whatever you're doing, walk in the spirit. Why? Because you're the church of Jesus Christ. 
He died for your sins. He died to set you free and to call you to his kingdom. And therefore, he's given us his spirit to know him intimately. These promises are all throughout scripture, by the way. And it's only amazing to me how we don't see it. So that's how we grow up spiritually. How do you grow spiritually? You walk around in the spirit of God. This is something you can do today. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you can leave here today and say, God, I'm going to walk around in your spirit and I'm going to see what you're doing in this world. We'll have new eyes to see, new ears to hear the truth of his kingdom coming. So we have the opportunity to do that, right? Well, then Paul says, though, going back to the church in verse 3, but you are still worldly. That also means uh, anthropos. It means of man. You're all of man still. You're not ready for spiritual teaching. Why? Here's how Paul diagnoses it. Because there is still jealousy and quarreling among you, among you. Are you not still worldly? Are you not acting like, listen to the word, mere men? That's mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, are you not being mere men? This is a callback. You remember that Paul raised this. This is the first issue he raised. is people in the church in Corinth fighting over who they're following. Some people say, I'm following Paul. He started this. And someone else said, I'm following Apollos. He's teaching now. And someone else said, I'm following Cephas. He's not even around, but he's somewhere, you know. And then a few people are going, I follow Christ. And they're all having a disagreement, division in the church. Paul comes back to the division. He says, why? Because there's quarreling and jealousy among you. So how can we grow? In order to grow, we can avoid jealousy and quarreling. We can avoid jealousy and quarreling. I'm not sure I love the word avoid here. I put it up there, fair enough. But um, I'm not sure I love it because we're going to look and see what Paul's trying to teach to here. He's trying to teach to a bigger truth that's, that's way more than any man. And you, I told you already, he's already addressed himself in this. He already said to people who say, I follow Paul. Don't say you follow me. Is Christ divided? You remember the word? And so he says, because there's still jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not being mere men? Are you not being merely of this world he breaks it down here's a couple of signs and that's why i don't love the word avoid we should avoid it but we should recognize it in our life this is a real spiritual tool you've been given i hope you understand this in your life i mean i've been given it too right i'm not standing here saying i got this figured out i'm with you in my own life when these things come up i should pay attention if there is quarreling or jealousy among us we should pay attention because that is a sign of spiritual immaturity aka worldliness that's what the word says. So here they are. The first sign of spiritual immaturity or worldliness is jealousy in the church. Jealousy. And I don't know if we even have a good definition of jealousy anymore, you know. Some of us have actually, like, elevated jealousy to a status of acceptability and, and honor, you know. I'm jealous of what you have. I'm jealous of this and that. But Paul has a particular concern for jealousy in the church because it's amongst the people of God. I would say he probably says of course there's jealousy in the world of course there is but it ought not be so with us we ought not be jealous of anything in the world or otherwise let alone of each other and yet here we are in the church confessing that there is a sin of worldliness or a sin of jealousy among us what does the jealousy look like the the, the word has this idea of being heated or of being envious um, of having an indignation toward others Here's a word to help me out, uh, to boil or to burn. Have you, ever, have you ever said that? That really, you know, chaps my rear end or whatever you say. <laughs> that really burns my whatever you say. I don't know what you say, right? I mean, that's me what I say. I don't know what you say. That really got me. You just can't wait. Do you ever feel that way about stuff, man? You get so heated about something, you just can't wait. And you, you're going to have to tell somebody how mad you are about something. You're heated. You're hot. We get that way in the church. I'm so mad at so-and-so and such-and-so. -so. I just can't believe they would act. And you just feel, and in the moment, let me tell you something, you feel vindicated because I'm right and they're wrong. And we undress the church of God. We take his bride and we just pick and pull it apart a little bit more, heated with one another. Oh, God, help us when we see jealousy in our spiritual lives. Because it's a sign of worldliness, not godliness. That's what the Apostle Paul says to the church. It's not a sign of maturity that you're willing to, to get heated over someone else in the church. It's a sign of spiritual lack. This idea of boiling toward one another. Here's the crux of it. Do you know what it does? Do you know what it does? It turns the church, the very people that Jesus Christ purchased with his blood and his name for his glory, into our enemy. 
the people of God, we find ourselves on the other side with. You know, we're against them. We're against you. That's not of God, church. I hope you hear that this morning. It's not of God. Paul says it's clearly a sign of worldliness or of spiritual immaturity when we act that way. I don't know if you're like me. I have. Ah. See? You get into the word, it just gets you. You're like, ah, it's me. I'm being worldly again. Shouldn't be that way. The church is not our enemy. The, the church at large is not our enemy. People struggling to express the gospel of their places are not our enemy. <laughs> we have these conversations repeatedly amongst ourselves, the believers in Christ. What does it mean to be a believer in Jesus? What does it mean to live it out, really? What does it mean to be transformed? What does it mean to have his Holy Spirit living in us? We ought to have some, some grace with one another and some compassion, not jealousy, not heated conversation, certainly not envy or indignation toward the people of God. That's why I don't love the word avoid, but maybe like if you see it, you know, you want to avoid it, but you're going to look for it. I'm going to talk about how you get out of this in a minute. But the second one is this. The second sign of immaturity in, in, in your spirituality is quarreling. It's contention with each other. It's the tendency to debate. There's some people who just love to debate. I love to have an argument, right? You know who you are. <laughs> I've argued with some of you people because <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Debate people. Quarrel. Create contention for no good reason or strife with each other, Right? Um, another way the word is translated as wrangling, wrestling, you know, see who's going to come out on top. I mean, we love a victor, don't we? Paul says this is a sign of spiritual maturity, always being ready to fight. Drop of a hat. Yeah, I know we're the same, but how are we different? And let's see if I can, I can win. And so we come against each other this way and quarreling. And Paul says these two are signs of spiritual maturity and they're a sign of a lack of growth in our lives. You want to know if you're growing in Christ? Are you growing away from jealousy? Are you growing away from quarreling? I know there's this pushback on it. Yeah, it's milk toast Christianity. No, it's not. It's harder. <laughs> it's harder to not fight. It's harder to not be jealous. It takes more spiritual humility and submission to Christ to not do those things as to do them. It's easy to do them. Why? Because it's right here. It's in the flesh. We can do that. We can fight all day. No problems there. It doesn't take a great scholar to look at the history of the church and see how much contention there is in the church of Jesus Christ. Fair enough, but do we grieve? Do we grieve at the state of the church? Do we wonder ever? I said last week, do we wonder about the cross of Christ? But do you wonder why the church can't get in the room together? Do you wonder what we have to do with that? What our own ego has to do with that? I wonder those things. Paul here calls it being merely men, merely people, or, and here's a little callback to Galatians, walking around in the flesh, walking around in your, humil in your humanity, so instead of saying, I'm going to walk around in the Spirit of God, I'm going to walk around with a mind toward Christ, an eye toward heaven, a, 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 an openness toward the kingdom, always having a three-way conversation no matter what the circumstances in my life, I'm going to have this conversation with God. Instead of doing that, we're walking around in all we can see and know here right now. It's me. It's like navel-gazing. It's all about us. And that's the opposite of what Paul just said. You've got to live by the Spirit, he said, not walk around in the flesh. The word is the same, peripteo, walking around in your humanity all the time, all the time. Are you not being mere men when you say, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos? Now, he's raising this issue again of, of, of Paul and Apollos. But before we change, I want to I answer the question then. How can we, when we recognize these, how do we get out of them, right? Because I'm convinced of this. Christianity, to me, is not an effort of mustering our strength. <laughs> so I'll say, I'm going to try harder, Lord. I'm going to do better. Leave it up to me. I got this. I think that's the failure. That's the anti-gospel. I'm on it. I can figure it out. How do you do it? This is how I understand it. We ought to recognize them in our life, first of all. When you find yourself being jealous or being contentious, fighting, creating division, you ought to just stop. I don't care how important you think it is. Just stop. You know why? God is God of all time, and he can handle whatever's going on. You don't have to right all the wrongs. It's not your job to right all the wrongs. It's not my job. We can recognize them for what they are. Lord, that's jealousy. That's contention in the church. Oh, if the Holy Spirit is living in us, we ought to grieve a bit about that. Why am I part of this right now? How did I get here? And then what do we do? We turn to the Lord. We turn to God. We ask for his help. Lord, how can I get out of this? Why? That we might grow and mature in Christ. You see what I'm saying? 
I mean, we're going to get in that spot. We're going to get in the ugly minute. We're going to get there. It's going to happen. We're not looking for it. But when we get there, how do you get out of it? You stop in that moment. And you say, you know what, God, I trust you with this. And I need you to lead me out of it because this is not what your church is about. I am not going to participate in this. Not willingly. And we can submit to God again and say, God, what, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to lead? And we might grow then and mature we might become the kind of people that Paul wants to be writing to, those who are spiritually mature in Christ. Paul connects this lack of growth to our tendency to position one brother or sister against another. That's a lack of spiritual growth. You're constantly turning people who believe in Christ against one another. It's a lack of spiritual growth, not a sign of growth. So that's what he says. If you're saying these things, I follow Paul, I follow Paul, so they're not mere men. Then he asked the question in verse 5. Look at it with me. What after all is Apollos? And what after all is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul does a beautiful thing here with Apollos. You could look at this text from, uh, in Corinthians and say, Paul's advocating for him over, you know, he's, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to teach you in person when I get there and stuff like it's a big threat. But Paul's doing something with Apollos. He's pulling him right into the house of God with him. He says, there's no division between Apollos and I. That's not what we're doing here. No, instead of doing that, he says, each of us has our own task. We each have our own task. That's what Paul says. Who, who is or what is Apollos? And who or what is Paul? We are only servants, mere servants. Listen to the word. You go from mere humans to mere servants. How important are we, Paul says? Not very important. We're not. Who are we? We're merely servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord, that is Christ, has assigned each his task. I want you to see this this morning because we have this really weird thing in the church. Where we think it's those people's jobs to be better Christians. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, I just wish so-and-so was a better Christian? I just wish they were better at following Christ? I wish they weren't so mean. Do you ever feel that way? Because you know what the truth is? It's only our work and our tasks that we can live out. We don't get to live anyone else's Christianity but our own. And what Paul says here is that God has assigned each of us work to do. That means there's no professional level of Christianity where you get to have the secret or wisdom of God. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get to live. No, it's like there's this reality that we're all given work to do. And Paul says what? As each is assigned his task by the Lord, he's going to break it down. Now, remember I said, see if you can connect some of our props this morning. Listen to what the word says. What is, after all, Paulus and what is Paul? This is verse 5, only servants to whom you came to believe. That's a big deal, by the way, as the Lord made the opportunity available or as the Lord assigned each his task. Here's how Paul breaks it down in verse 6. I planted the seed. Apollos watered the seed, but God made it grow. That's what Paul's confession is. He's like, I planted the seed. So here's the apostle Paul. And he got his rural king bag of super cool old school seed. And he's out there and he's putting it on the ground, baby. Paul's a traveling man. And as he's walking along, he's getting his hand in the bag and he's just, he's just throwing a seed out, right? No. Paul probably had like a, one of those hand, you ever seen those hand? You ever do that? Not you guys, you're too cool. You got one of these. I got one of those things, about like 40 bucks. Put that seed down, baby. You're putting it down everywhere, right? Not Paul. No. Paul was like, he had the tractor. No, he had like that big eight-wheel tractor that's out in the fields like, right? He's putting down some seed, right? Paul couldn't, a five-pound bag. <laughs> Come on. Not Paul. No, Paul says, I'm sowing the seed. That's all I'm doing is sowing the seed. I came through Corinth. I was sowing the seed of the gospel. Stop believing lies. Start believing the truth. I mean, this is what Paul's doing, right? And he's saying this to a church, to a, a place that's not Jewish alone. It's this, this crossroads, this cultural melu. He's out there at Schweitzerfest, and he's sowing the seed of God. He's like, he's like you've got to believe it. He's out walking in the parade, and he's handing out invitations to VBS. You know what I'm saying? You should come to VBS. It's super cool. You need to know about Jesus. The parents are like, okay, maybe. No, seriously, bring your kids out. It's going to be awesome. Parents, you need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to bring my kids to church so better people know. You need to go to church so you're a better person in Christ. Like, you need to be part of what God is doing. Paul says, I sowed the seed. That's what Paul did, right? So we'll put Paul. Then he left. Here's Apollos. He's like the fireman, you know. Woo! Right? I mean, think about the imagery that Paul's laying out here for him and Apollos. He's like, I planted it, but 
Apollos is sticking around watering it. Is that as glorious as sowing a seed? Some people thought not so much. No, this guy's just holding a hose. I mean, Paul was sowing the word. He's just watering the grass. Who is this guy, Apollos? We'll remind you again, Apollos was a dude who, knew a, who was a gifted speaker, communicator, right? But was taken aside by um, some basically house parents, or house church parents, to say, you don't know the full gospel yet, right? This happens in Acts. And they say, teach him the full gospel. You're, you're a good teacher, but you don't know the truth. And Paul's wa- or Apollos is watering. He's watering. You know what's funny? I'm not even joking about these things we have. Like, this really is what we've been doing. Um, in our yard, we, uh, we had uh, to put some seed down. And I've tried this before. Anybody tried to seed their yard before? Anybody failed? Yeah, <laughs> me too, Mike. I mean, just terrible. I put out the seed. You ever see that seed come up quick? It's like, it's like, woo, party! And you're like, look at this, like, fine green hair. This is so exciting. And then it's like, brrrr. And we're in St. Louis, like, mid-July. It's like, <coughs> And your wife, my wife, is like, what'd you do? And I'm like, I tried. I don't know what I did, right? Well, guess what the secret of planting good seed is? Water. <laughs> you know that? You can put a seed in the ground. If it doesn't get any water, it doesn't activate. That's the way they put it. They, these companies make these like, seeds. They don't activate until there's water. When it hits water, when water hits the seed, the seed begins to grow. It's like, I'm coming, baby. I'm going to make grass. And all of us get on our tractor and mow it, and we're like, yeah, I'm good. You know what? I'm not good. You know why? I'm not very disciplined. I read this thing, and it said, you got to water twice a day for three weeks. <laughs> I went out to the grass seed. I'm like, I'm sorry. You're not going to make it. <laughs> Prognosis is not good, fellas. I know you were at the store and you were hoping, but no, you got me. And then guess what I found? What? An automatic waterer. You just screw this into your little thing. You just set the program. And all of a sudden, twice a day, you hear, whoosh. I'm like, who's in the shower? My dad alarm's going off. You know, who's running water? And it's like, it's you. You're watering the grass. Oh, right. Yes. And it runs for 20 minutes and it kicks off. Boom. All the pipes of the house vibrate. You know, that's probably not good. But hey, I didn't forget again. This is Apollos, man. Faithfully watering the people of God. This reminds me of stories about church where you remember Pastor so-and-so. He was the real deal. This new guy, he's just maintaining the soil. Come on, man. Automatic watering. What a gift from God. Paul is just blessing the people of God, just preaching the word of God, learning himself about the word of God, and just continuing to do that thing. You know, you know and the people are growing. That's what the, the sign of the church in the early days was growth. They were growing in the Lord. And this is what Paul says. I seated. Apollos watered. But then here's the next point. So we each have our task, right? Did you get that? I mean, I want to say that real quick, that we each have our task. There's sometimes we're sitting back in our life, we're saying somebody should do something. Yeah, you? Who, who do you think you are? You're part of the church of God. Like, don't look at yourself wrongly. You're part of his solution. You're part of what he's trying to do in the world. And therefore, we can willingly participate with him. We can say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll jump in. We all work at our own task. And then Paul says this, though, right? Ultimately, we depend on God. We depend on God, right? No matter what we do, no matter what we're doing, the, the fruit is the Lord's. It's not ours. It, you know, this is the problem with the grass that wilts and the grass that grows. We ought not take credit for the grass either way. The Lord made it grow. I want us just to think a minute about the simple thing being taught here, the miracle of a seed. I mean, I can't think of anything else in this life that if you, I handed you something that small and I said, stick it in the ground give it some water and wait, and something different is going to come out, we would have a category for it. I wouldn't. i go, that little thing? Come on. You ever thrown seed? It's light, isn't it? There's nothing to it, right? It's so small that birds, the tiniest birds can come and they can eat it and just take it off. Gone, you know? And yet, when that thing gets rooted, and when it starts to grow, it turns into a bigger and bigger, bigger thing. Um, we depend on God for growth. We depend on God for growth. That's what, that's what this is all about. One of the things that's kind of weird about modern farming, my understanding of it, is we don't depend on rain so much. We irrigate now. Now, when we have water crisis, we need problems with water, right? But I mean, my grandfather was a farmer. And I don't know how much of a man of faith he was, right? But I know he prayed for rain. 
And I know he prayed for rain to stop, like some of our farmers this year, or just make it stop, right? Because ultimately, it's up to God what grows. The harvest is not ours, but it's the Lord's. And that's what he says. I, uh, I planted and Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. He reiterates it there. It's only God that makes things grow. It's not us. It's not our efforts. But we can't miss that we do have tasks to do. There's all that in there, right? You see it with me? I hope you do. We all see that we have these tasks to do, and God makes it grow. That's Paul's confession to us. God keeps it growing, by the way, is how he writes, he writes that, and then he causes it. He causes us to grow. That growth comes in, in two forms, and I think we often think of one. Uh, it comes in size. Things get bigger physically, bigger, right? True. Fair enough. More multiplied growth. Fair enough. But Paul in this passage is particularly talking about maturity. He says you're going to mature in spirituality. You're going to grow in Christ. That is Messiah, the anointed one. You're going to become more than mere men and women in the Lord. This is the call. This is what God is doing. And we ultimately absolutely depend on God to make it grow. We depend on God to make it grow. Can I tell you the craziest question I hear all the time? I probably because of my role as a pastor. I never, I never heard this question before. I was a pastor, really. But this is the craziest question. Hey, how you doing? Good. You know, oh, the minute they hear I'm a pastor, what is the question? How big is your church? And I'm always like, that's a hard question to answer. That's not even a great question to ask. How big is my church? Like mine? The one that I own? Because I don't, I don't own a church. Because it's not my church. I see you go, oh, did you do that, man? That's like, don't start preaching. How do you not preach to people at that point? How big is the church of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the anointed one? How big is the gospel work happening all over the world? What question are you asking me? Well, I go to a big church. You do? Tell me about it. Tell me about how your church is bigger than the church of Christ. Tell me, please. Enlighten me. Tell me how the work that you're doing is bigger than the work that Christ did on the cross. Tell me, please. I'd love to know. Because the truth is that all this growth is up to the Lord. It's not up to us. And, and, and there's the problem. Because as much as we hang our hope on a person for growth, we hang our ultimate demise on that same person. Right? Listen to me, church. If God makes it grow, ain't nobody going to cut it down. Nobody. Nobody. Oh, how often we have wrongly lamented the lack that God is doing. Come on, church. I hope you sense that this morning. How often have we stood and, and, and looked and said, this is it? This is all? No. Neither the one who's planting nor the one who's watering is anything, but only the one giving growth, that is God. He is the only one that matters. He's the only one that is truly worth growing for. And no matter what we do, we cannot grow apart from God. We can't. Like, I can't, you can't, you know. We just can't grow apart from God himself. That means in connection, in relationship with him. We can't grow. So what do we do? What do we do? Listen, I've already talked to you about jealousy and quarreling. I've already talked to you about each your task. Maybe you don't know what your task is. We should pray about that. God, what do you call me to do? I'll tell you something. You ought to ask someone around you who, you who you trust deeply, a friend in Christ, say, what do you see my gifts as? Or, and that's how I'm, it's like, I don't want to be arrogant. Don't, no, you're not being arrogant. Like, just ask somebody around you. And they might not have an answer right away, but I guarantee you, if they think about it for a minute, like, you know how you're really good. You know what you're really gifted in? Here's no way you say that. You know how you've really blessed me? And I'm convinced it might be the most unexpected ways, the work of the gospel in our midst, the way God is using his people Listen, the church, to encourage us into growth and maturity. See, we think so simply about these things. But the truth is that God is knitting together. This is the difference here. The church in Corinth was saying, what's Paul been doing around here? The church in Corinth is saying, what's Apollos been doing around here? What's Cephas, that's Peter, been doing around here? And Paul's like, what's Christ been doing everywhere? Right? We, we, we do not have the ability to understand the tapestry that God is weaving together. Listen to me. We do not have the ability to understand it. We don't. 
We can only know that he's in charge and he's doing things. We don't know the tapestry he's weaving in our own lives. This is why times of suffering and times of hurt and times of brokenness and times of pain end up knitting together something that's glorious to God. It's something that's beautiful in his sight. Why? Because we depend on God. We never outgrow him. He's always our Lord and our master. Paul says, who is Paul? Who is Paul? Paul? Nobody, only Christ. Why? Because we are Christ's workers, fellow workers, and you are God's field. You, church, listen, are God's building. You are God's. So we're going to have this reality that we're going to have an opportunity to live and to, to recognize things and do our work. We depend on God for our work, but there's one thing I want you to see in, in verse 8. The man who plants and the man who waters has one purpose. They're united in the purpose. He pulls Paulus in right now. Me and, Paul, me and Paulus, we're on the same page here, but each will be rewarded according to our own labor. This is going to come back in a minute, but that's the next thing, is that in order to grow, we receive our reward. We receive our reward that there is something that, that's tangible from our experience of being obedient to our call. If you want to be rewarded according to your labor, you have to do the task which God has assigned for you to do. And I'm not here to tell you today what that task is because I'm not God. But if you want to receive the blessing, the reward, the pay, you have to do the work that God has called you to do. You have to plant the seed. You have to water the grass. You have to do the work. And then God will give you your blessing. It says, the man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, or they are united, is the way the word reads, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. And then verse 9, because we are God's fellow workers and we are God's field, we are God's building. And so we're one and we each have a reward, a wage, a, pal a salary, or pay, or, don't get, miss this, a punishment. Punishment is pay. If you, if you don't do the work and you reap the harvest of that, that's part of your pay. For the, loyal, the, the labor, the toil, listen to the words described for work, the weariness, or the fatigue. Just wore out. I'm wore out. To what end? For the reward that God has promised us. Okay? And what's going to happen? Because you are God's workmanship and you are God's field, his building. We're going to move on. Verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. That's a policy talking about. For each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay a care, uh, no one can lay any foundation other than that one which is already laid, which is Christ Jesus himself. So Paul says the foundational truth is Jesus Christ. And then everything else we're building on top of that, church. So no matter what, and there is a point, I would say, that we have to have an understanding with someone else. If they don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's a deal breaker for the church. If you want to discern if this is truly a church or not, you ask the question, what do you believe about Jesus? And if the church believes that Jesus is anything but absolutely critical to the whole point of the church, if they don't understand that the cross of Christ, the sacrifice, the payment for sins is absolutely critical, they aren't the church that Paul writes about. They aren't. And you can get there, not being contentious, not being, but you can just say, I don't believe that about Jesus Christ. I believe he paid for our sins. I believe he died and rose again, resurrection life. I believe that he is Lord and master of his church, and I believe his spirit dwells in us. These are the truths that Paul teaches the church and that the Bible is replete with front to back. And so if we don't have that, uh, we don't know what we're building on. But Paul says, other than that, if any man builds, in verse 12, on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be, so, be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light, okay? It will be revealed through fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself be saved, but only as one who is escaping flames. I want to stop there and just talk about that for a minute. And here's, here's what the word says. All of our work, this is all of our spiritual work, all of our spiritual work in our own lives, and our spiritual work in the lives of others, we try to help each other and encourage each other in the faith, will be tested. It will all be tested. Paul says, without exception, no matter what you're using to build on it, if you're putting straw on it, if you're putting gold, if you're putting silver, whatever you're putting on there, the stones, on the work of Christ, it's going to be tested on the day of judgment, is what the word says there. It's the day, the day, it's implying there's a judgment day coming, and it will be brought to light out of darkness, the work that's been done. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. And so that's to say that, they're, that what we're trying to do is build work that's going to last in each other's lives. Something you're going to take 
forward from this day on, right? That's the encouragement of the gospel. It's not this kind of like weak, wishy-washy, going to get blown down by the first prevailing wind. It's a true, deep, abiding faith in Jesus Christ. It means that when the fire comes and, you know, the wildfires go through, they just burn everything down, the rock's still there. You know what I mean? Look out in that forest, all those trees, scorched earth, houses, but there's a rock. Didn't burn up, right? There's fundamental elements that are not burned up. There's these precious stones, precious jewels, precious metals that are not burned up. They're the real part. But everything else, it's going to burn away. All the noise and clamor, it's going to burn away. That day will be tested. All of our work will be tested by fire. The foundation is Christ. And I want you to see something encouraging here because this, I, I just love the word of God. You know this. I love the word of God. But look at verse 15. Because it's easy to think this guy, like, God, what was this all for? You know, what was this all for? Maybe you've been in a place in your life where you're like, things are not going well. And you're like, what did I even believe? What did I even believe for? You're asking the question, what lasts? I hope you're asking that question of God when you're in that moment. Not running around asking people, what's this life about? Because we got crazy answers. But if you're asking God, what's going to stand, Lord, on that day? Look at verse 15. If it is all burnt up, that one will suffer loss. Yeah, man. That was all wrong. But look what the word says. But he himself will be saved only as one escaping through the flames. That's an assurance of salvation. That our, our salvation is never dependent on our work. That God doesn't need us to help save ourselves. And no matter how much good you think you're doing for the kingdom, no matter how much good you think you're doing for God, no matter how much you think you're praying and making a difference in people's lives, if it all burns away and there's nothing left at the end of the day and, there, and you're just left there in the scorched earth, you will stand because God saved you. See, that's not us. God saved me. And so that's a great promise that we ought not panic in the middle of the fire. Because we're being saved. The word says we're being refined. And then here's the last point. Paul turns it. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, well, God will destroy that person. Because God's temple, here's the word again, is sacred. And you are that sacred temple. You. You know, Paul started this letter that way. The church is holy. He said those great big promises in the first three verses of this book. The church is holy. It's sacred. It's anointed. It's set aside for his glory and for his purpose. And here Paul brings it back around. He says, and that temple is you. The one being built up is you. God's spirit dwells in you, church. You and me. That means that if we want to grow, we need to honor God's temple. This is the problem that Paul has with the whole Apollos and Paul thing, right? It's dishonoring the temple of God. Why? Because the people are being built into his image. The people are being transformed. Is Apollos there yet? No. Is Paul there yet? No, right? Is Cephas there yet? No. But they're being built. No way you can say this. Maybe you don't like temple because temple's weird. It's like this, what is a temple? It's like this big, you know, it's thinking about like the, Af the uh, Amazon forest, you know, the rainforest. Ooh, Ah, you know, the thing, the big stairway, and you're like, oh, it's a temple, you know what I mean? Or you think about Jerusalem and the holy temple over there, you think about the, the, uh, the, the, the um, dome on the rock, you know, and the, the, the majesty of Jerusalem and all that. This is what Paul's saying. We honor God's people. Honor God's people. He says, you are that temple, church in Corinth, not talking to Jerusalem. You are that temple. You are the people of God. Verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become a fool so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are useless, futile, empty. So then no more boasting about men. All things are yours whether Apollos or Paul or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. I want to close with two thoughts. The first is something I've seen that just stuck in my mind about how we treat the church of God. 
and it was uh, uh, Francis Chan was preaching to pastors. 7,000 pastors in a room. He's talking to them about the holiness of the temple of God. And you know what he said? We should tread carefully, brothers and sisters, when we start to criticize the church. Talking to who? The pastors, the shepherds, the people who are supposed to be loving people into the kingdom. And he starts to give this imagery of the glory and the grandeur. If you have been into any kind of a, a, a building that's given you awe, if you look at the ceiling and you're like, wow, if you look at the height and the depth, if you look at the cross, if there's anything you've ever seen, if you looked in Jerusalem and seen the glory, and you're like, wow, can you imagine? Can you imagine walking where Jesus walked? Can you imagine seeing what Jesus sees? Can you imagine knowing? This is all just a foreshadowing of the temple that's coming, the true temple of God, the, the holy arrangement that he's bringing to earth, his people in this place, right? That's what the Bible says. And he goes just, and there's Francis, he's like, imagine this whole big glorious temple that's like, so beautiful and it's so amazing and it's perfect because Christ built it. It wasn't built by human hands. The rocks, every corner is perfectly duck pointed and you look and you just can't even be there. You know, Francis, he's a little emotive, which is probably why I like him. You know what I'm saying? But he's like getting down. He's like, he's like you can't go near it because it's so holy. Holy is a scary thing. It's so perfect. And then he turns on a group of pastors and he says, these pastors, and then we take out our chisel and our hammer and we're like, just a corner. I'm just going to fix this piece. Or, or you get in there and you get your, 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 your uh, a battering ram or you get, your, you get a sledgehammer. Just going to give it one or two whacks to make it right. Yeah? Or you get in your bulldozer and you start driving it. I'm going to just make it a small adjustment. He don't say that stuff. But, you know, we ought to be afraid of that, church. And I am afraid of that. And I ought to be caught up in my spirituality, afraid of that, because this is Christ's church being built by his blood for his glory. I know I'm preaching at you, but I hope you understand it. It's his Holy Spirit working in people's lives. And we ought to tread lightly because he's building a perfect temple. Just be discerning. And how we do that? The temple of God being built on earth. That's one thing I want to tell you. Just be careful. If you feel adequately warned, be careful criticizing the church because you're not talking about people. You're talking about God. Here's the second thing. I'm amazed. I went out there. I didn't use the thing. I actually did that part of my, and I hand-seeded part of my grass. Guess what? The hand-seeded part grew more. You know why? I put more seed down. So I was crazy. I put a bunch of seed down. It's growing like crazy. I don't know if it's going to work or not. We'll see, right? It's growing right now. But you know what I don't have to seed in my life? And this hit me this week. This is why I love the Word of God. Because if you get into the Word of God, um, it will begin to enlighten your ordinary daily life. I believe that. I don't know if you've been reading 365 with us, the Bible in a year. It will change how you live your daily life. This is all my fresh harvest. This morning's crop. I went out in my front yard before the service, literally before the service, and I found all this stuff growing in my yard. You know who didn't plant it? This guy <laughs> didn't plant it. It just grows up all by itself. Can I show you why? See that? It's seed. It's seed. And it hit me. You know what? I hand-pulled these. And you guys are thinking, you should just spray some stuff on it. Yeah, maybe. I hand-pulled them, though, because I want to see. You know, some of these, some of these are like fat. Some of these are two-handers. You got to get a hold of it, and you got to try to break it off. Oh, don't you break off? You're talking to the plant. Don't you do it? And then it breaks. Ah, oh, you win this round. I'll be back. Some of them, I don't know if I can find it in here because it's so little, but some of them are little. I got one in here somewhere. Might be on the ground already. <laughs> Lori, I'm gonna vacuum this up. Don't worry. I know Lori's like you're driving me nuts right now. Look, there's this little. Seed, you know what you can do when you have a little one? You can grab with two little fingers and go like, comes right out. You know what I realized as I was doing this, preparing, praying, studying? The world is always sowing seed in our life. Why should you read the Bible on a regular basis? Because we are inculcated in the world's doctrine. The world is constantly sowing a seed in our life. The weeds, the weeds, the weeds, the weeds. And they're just growing up all around us. We're like, this is crazy. I can't get any grass. Yeah, because the weeds are always propagating. And you know what's not happening? We're not sowing the seed of the word. We're not. We're not doing it in our lives. We're not doing it in our neighborhoods. We're not doing it in our community. We're not. And then we wonder why we got a bumper crop of weeds. 
You have to sow. It just hit me, right? The weeds are always out there doing it. Meanwhile, I have to plant grass because, you know, it's a lawn. I'm mowing it. It can't seed itself. This is the reality that we have this opportunity to sow seeds in the lives of ourselves and others. We ought to do it. We ought to do it. Um, I don't know where you are, and this is real life following Jesus in your life, but I hope that today when you leave here, no matter what you do next, you take God seriously. That you maybe just stop for a minute and question some of the things you've assumed always be true, and you're like, but God, what do you say about it? Maybe you don't read the Bible and you say, I can't understand it. You're right, you can't, but guess what? Pray. Say, God, would you show me what you have in this? You can't understand the word of God without the spirit of God teaching you. You can't understand it on your own. You won't get there from here. But if God opens his word to you, if he begins to show you in your heart, your mind, the truth of scripture, your whole life changes. Hope you see that. So pray, seek the Lord, study the scriptures with him. Pray before you do it. And then tell me what you learned. Tell us what you learned together. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning's opportunity to grow in you. We thank you for a chance to see your kingdom come. We thank you for the truth that someone sowed seed in our life and that seed sprouted and began to grow because of your grace in our life. We give you thanks and praise for our growth. Oh, Father, may we never, may we never become so indignant as plants that we would believe we grew ourselves that we believe that we caused ourselves to grow, Father. Oh, no, we need you. And Lord, today in a room this size, I mean, there's people here who are hurting and who are struggling, who are, who are maybe perplexed this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would minister in the ways that only you can, that your Holy Spirit would, would just nurture and water. And maybe we need a brother or sister to come alongside of us and just to, to give us a little word or to give us a little water for growth or give us a little protection from the scorching sun or just to help us to grow. Would you call your church? Father, I pray a prayer of awareness of calling in this congregation that you would help us to see rightly our ability to participate with you in the kingdom that we would get off the shelf and get into the field and, and begin to grow oh lord that your name we've made famous father forgive us for the times we made it about us it's not about us it's about you help us to grow lord we ask in jesus name amen